Red Rocks Church, how are you guys doing? Good? I like it. Hey, I've already spoken with the Lord. It's going to be an awesome weekend, so you might as well join in. Participate, right? I love it. I love it. It will not be awesome if we don't greet everyone at all of our campuses, though. So Evergreen, uh, Lakewood, Arvada, of course, Littleton, across the pond at Brussels. We're so proud of you guys. God's doing awesome stuff at Brussels. We love you guys. And you guys know what I'm going to do next. Can we give the most gracious round of applause at all of our campuses to all the men and women at our God Behind Bars locations? We love you guys. Love you guys. So grateful that we get to do church with you guys week in and uh, week out. I say this often, and I'm never going to quit saying it. If I do, you guys need to fire me. Uh, I'm like a kid in a candy shop that I get to get up here all the time throughout the year and talk to you guys about this perfect book and this perfect person when you know how imperfect I am. You understand what an incredible gift and honor it is when God calls somebody to get to preach his holy word, and and I've never gotten used to it. And so I just said, you know what, God, every chance... I remember and think about it. Uh, I get up here. I'm going to tell everybody that keeps showing up to hear a knucklehead like me talk about a perfect God like him. I'm just going to say thank you. And so at all campuses, I just want you to know what an honor and a privilege it is that I get to stand up here week in and week out and present to you what we hope, (laughs) pray for me, is God's heart week in and week out. And so I'm just before we get started saying thank you. If you're visiting with us, hi, by the way, my name's Chad. I'm one of the guys on staff. I'm about to pray right now now. And as most of you know, but if you're visiting with us, I want you to know the heart of this place. I'm about to pray for this reason, not for religious reasons. I'm about to pray because you guys don't need to hear a talk from Chad, right? I'm as broken and as flawed as you. I bleed red like you do. We need to hear from the voice of the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in us and in this place. And so we're going to surrender this time yet again over to him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege and the honor of preaching your holy word. God, I thank you that uh, you say your word is alive and active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, it cuts into the deepest parts of who we are and it changes us. I thank you, God, that your word never returns back to you without first accomplishing its purpose. God, I thank you that all scripture that we read from is God-inspired and God-breathed and it teaches us and trains us how to live righteous lives. God, I pray that by the time we're done looking at your word and worshiping and giving that we walk out of the doors of our respected campuses better than we walk in. We give you this time, God, and we pray it in your son's name, Jesus. Everyone said, amen. Amen. So we're in the final installment, week three of this series that we have titled The Grace of Giving. If you've missed this series, sinners, you can go online, (laughs) podcast, you can go to our app, Facebook Live, and you can get caught up because each week we have built off of the week before that. We titled it The Grace of Giving. I know it's not a profound or creative or brilliant, but it is from the Word of God where we got this. And so I want to show you where we got this in the Word of God. We're going to read uh, and pick up where we picked, off last, uh, picked up last week. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Paul's writing to a church in Corinth. They're a pretty rich church, pretty wealthy church. And he's going to use an extremely impoverished church to give them an example of what generosity really looks like. He says this, And now, brothers and sisters... We want you to know about the grace, everyone say grace again. 
grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. You ready for this? Listen to how awesome this church is. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, I love this, welled up in rich generosity. Paul says, I testify they gave as much as they were able, and you ready for this? And beyond their ability. That can only happen from grace, right? Entirely on their own, listen to this, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded, exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And so we urged Titus. Titus was the campus pastor, so to speak, at the church in Corinth. And so Paul's saying, based on what this extremely vulnerable and impoverished church did, that kind of generosity, we pleaded, we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning with you guys, to bring also to completion, here it is, this act of grace on your part. And I, in case you missed last week, just want to remind you this, this word grace is so much more than we in the church oftentimes teach and give it credit for. Grace is not simply pardon and forgiveness. That is beautiful and that is fundamental, but that is the entry point of what grace is. Grace is a supernatural power or endowment from God on a human heart to live in a way that makes no sense on paper. Grace is supernatural power from God to give like the church in Macedonia gave when on paper it looked completely ludicrous. And he says, I want you, a rich church, to give the way they give. So he goes on to say, hey, you guys are killing it at the church in Corinth on so many levels. You're doing so many awesome things. He says, since you're excelling in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we've kindled in you, listen to this. He says, see now that you also excel in this. And here's the title of our series, The Grace of Giving. Now, last week I titled the message, Holy Irresponsibility. And here's why I told you guys, I was reading through 2 Corinthians verses 1 through 7 that we just read, and I was just blown away at what a holy moment and what a holy, beautiful thing the church in Macedonia did with their money when they were in the midst of an extreme trial of poverty. And I remember a couple weeks ago when I came up with this phrase, holy irresponsibility, defining generosity, it came from me going, God, this is everything in my heart when I read this about the Macedonian church just says beauty. Everything about what the Macedonian church did that we just read, everything about it in my heart just feels holy. Don't you feel that way? It's just a beautiful expression of generosity. I go, but God, in my mind, right? In my mind, everything about this seems irresponsible. And God's like, yeah, holy irresponsibility. This is precisely the foundational point of what generosity is. It's when you get involved in something holy and you approach it irresponsibly, at least by the world standards when I say irresponsibly. Don't you think the church in Macedonia should be the church that's getting money from everybody else? And here's the irony. They're actually setting the standard for what real giving and real generosity looks like in the most vulnerable of seasons of their church. And Paul's going, hey, you don't get to be the rich church. And God says the same thing to us in Littleton, Colorado, fairly wealthy suburb in the United States of America. We don't get to be the rich church that's not, that's not walking in endless degrees of holy irresponsibility. And so I gave you a working definition of generosity last week. And I said working because we're gonna build on it some more this week. I said this, I said generosity is a grace 
from God, a supernatural power from God to walk in a perpetual state of holy irresponsibility. Now let's have a grace moment, okay? Let's, let's give a balancing statement that I said last week. Walking in a perpetual state of holy irresponsibility or generosity, that is a lifelong endeavor. That's an issue of discipleship. When you give your life to Christ or Christ woos you and saves you, he rarely, if ever, doinks anyone over the head and just instantly makes them a wholly irresponsible person, a generous person. This is something that gets worked out as a disciple. Trust takes time. Trust takes patience. So give yourself some grace. And now I want to add to this working definition of generosity. If generosity, as I said last week, is walking in a perpetual state, of holy irresponsibility, here's where we build this week. Generosity is the grace of God to continually walk in a perpetual state of holy inconvenience. If you really stop for a minute and think about generosity in its most purest form and definition, it is by definition an act of inconvenience, right? That's what, genero- that's what makes generosity generosity because we talked last week, you can give and it not be generous. That's what the Pharisees were doing in the offerings. They had so much money and they were dropping these big amounts in and everyone was clapping and they looked so amazing. And Jesus was sitting there looking at a widow who gave two pennies and went, that's generosity. Because it cost her something, because it required faith. So generosity this week we're building is walking in a perpetual state of holy inconvenience. And now, here's what I want you to know, especially if you're newer to church. When Sean and I get up here to teach the word of God, we have a responsibility, just like the apostles of old, to do this. To look at God's never-changing character and his never-changing word and filter it through our ever-evolving culture. And and culture's evolving at a rate like we've never seen it. So we have an incredibly difficult job. That's why I get up here and I pray before I get up here and talk. Because I have a job of presenting to you an attribute or characteristic of this never-changing God in the midst of a fast-paced, evolving culture that we live in. And so I want to talk for a minute about democracy. Because that's the culture we live in. And I'm grateful to live in a democratic society, man. What a blessing. And if democracy is our government, I would say this. Democracy is the husband of our government. And you know what the wife is of the government? Capitalism. This is the fiscal approach that we in our democracy have to finances. And and you've heard it said, if the husband's the head, the wife's the neck, right? And we know who turns the head. It's all about the money, right, in democracy. So I'm talking about capitalism for a second, and here's why. We need to understand this culturally, okay? Stick with me. Capitalism, in its most basic definition and form, is fueled, you ready for this? By convenience. Technology. The stuff that makes money, the stuff that makes the world go round, the stuff that makes people get out of bed and continue to go to work, the thing that provides jobs, the evolution of technology, what fuels capitalism in our capitalistic spirit is is right or wrong. I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying is capitalism taps into this incessant human need for convenience. This incessant natural need that we have to streamline as many activities in life as possible so we can do more in life to think life is more awesome. We think convenience is what's going to bring us full life because the more convenient and streamlined activities are, the more stuff we can do in our freedom and add to our day, right? 
But we got to be extremely careful because as beautiful as capitalism has been to our democratic society, there is a shadow side to it. And the shadow side is simply this. In the gospel, the real kingdom that we're a part of, the one that will transcend the grave, the kingdom of Christ, convenience isn't a part of his story. The gospel is the most beautiful kingdom, the most perfect government that this world will and possibly ever know. But if there's one reason so many people never walk in the fullness of the kingdom and the purpose that God has for them to play their role in the story of the kingdom, it's this, convenience and inconvenience gets in the way and people don't think that's God. Listen to me, we live in an era and a dispensation right now. You'll breathe your last and it'll all be different. But right now we live in an era where God did not call you to convenience or to be comfortable. He called you to be committed and to be passionate. And listen, that's always going to bring inconvenience. But we, we live in a world of technological advances and we are intoxicated and enamored by them because they streamline life. Let's, let's talk about this for a minute. Think about, uh, let's go back several thousand years, even before Jesus. Everybody farmed, whether you wanted to or not. No matter what else you did, you were a farmer by default, right? And they came up with this technological advance that changed everything. It was called a yoke. Remember, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And everyone there were farmers, whatever else they did. So they, they knew what he was talking about. And a yoke allowed somebody to go from using one stubborn ox to plow their field to having two ox and them walking in a straight line at your command. You want to talk about a technological advancement because you used to have a stubborn ox and you would just only hope and pray that he would go straight when you spanked him, Right? <laughs> But now you've got this technological advancement where they put these two pieces of wood and they cut circles on him. They put it over to the next of these two oxen. So now you're plowing ground with twice the amount of energy, cutting your time in half. And now you've got energy left over to what? Live more awesome life. That right there is, is, is capitalism. That right there is what technology does. Let's fast forward. Let's think about this again. Think about the miracle of flight. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a couple of brothers named Orville and Wilbur. Their parents must have hated them. <laughs> Thanks, mom and dad. Appreciate that. Junior high has been awesome. Thank you for naming us that, right? And here's my theory. If you're gonna, I, think, I think their parents actually did them a solid because if your name's Orville and Wilbur, you better invent a plane, right? You know what I'm saying? That's your only hope, right? So, so think about that, though, the, the miracle of flight. Think of what that's done. For, for the evolution of society, just from a capitalistic point of view, just from a money earning, just from a job creating point of view, think of what the miracle of flight has done. But look at the convenience it's created. I heard a comedian joke one time and he was talking about going from New York to L.A. now is a four and a half hour flight. And he said that used to take 30 years, that trip. And people died. And people had kids on that trip, right? They were called pioneers, right? Now it's four and a half hours and you're home. And we get so we get so inoculated with convenience and we get so used to it. Think of the smartphone. Do you understand? Look at your thumbs real quick. Just put up your thumbs at all of our camps real quick. Look at those. Do you know how powerful your thumbs are now compared to what they used to be when you were born? These things used to be good for gripping things, right? And for telling people good job. That's what thumbs used to be for. That's what God gave them originally. Now, man, everything is with our thumbs on that smartphone, right? My thumbprint literally is what gets my smartphone to turn on and work. And then I get in there, talk about the pinnacle of convenience 
my thumb can take me to an app called Uber Eats. Any of you partooken in that? Because God forbid I would go through a fast food restaurant and waste five minutes of my precious time when I could sit on the couch and make Timmy, the 19-year-old, in his first job, go to McDonald's for me and order, right? The only thing I have to do now is get off my couch, go get the food from Timmy, and give him the thumbs up, good job. And trust, listen, eventually technology is going to solve that too. I won't even have to get off my couch if I don't want. Do you guys remember I was a kid of the 70s and 80s, and when we went on vacation, let's talk technology and convenience. We went on vacation. Here's what happened. My dad got this, this piece of paper like this, and he kept unrolling, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was this. It was called the Rand McNally map. Any of you know what I'm talking about? 20-year-olds are like, what? And he would get out a highlighter and a pen. And for our 10-day or whatever vacation, he would be highlighting all the freeways and the bypasses and the exits and the restaurants and where the hotels were going to be and what streets that we needed to take. For ten this would take like 45 minutes or an hour. Do you know what I do now with my thumb? I press a button and go, Siri, could you tell me how to get to Vail? <laughs> and with that voice command, a signal goes to space. And within a millisecond comes back to my phone and with GPS technology, she in her British accent will tell me exactly the whole way how to get to Vail. She'll even tell me now if there's a wreck up ahead and then give me an alternative route. Are you kidding me? And then here's what I have. The, you ever fight with Siri when she gets it wrong? Come on, let's be. This is how important it is to understand the power of convenience. And for us not to be so intoxicated by it that we miss the kingdom call on our life. Because the kingdom is about generosity. Jesus is the essence of generosity and generosity is never convenient. I'm like, Siri, could you tell me how to get to Vail? She's like, I'm sorry, I don't know how to inspect a snail. And I'm like, Siri, no, Vail! You know, and I throw my phone down like she owed me that. Sorry, I need to read some Bible. We're going to read some Bible. I forget what I'm doing up here. I've still, this is why I can't believe God lets me do this right here. <laughs> this is, though, what we have to be so careful about. And I want us to understand this. To really be the people of God and the army of God. Not just a church that sits around and has fun talks and sings some songs every week. Listen, talking's important and singing's important. You've heard us talk about why those things are important. But if all we do is come here to sing and talk and put our kids in over there for a while to get a break. <laughs> I know that one. I know that dance, man. Then we are colossally failing what the kingdom of God is. We are called to bring heaven to earth. And when we pray that prayer, it's not hoping that God just magically does it. He gives you grace, supernatural power to do things the rest of the world won't do. And it's this, it's to live wholly irresponsible lives. It's to live wholly inconvenienced lives. The spoils of the kingdom of God, Red Rocks Church, go to the people like you and me who are willing to say, God, it's not easy. God, we are immersed in a culture of convenience and capitalism and technology that just streamlines everything. God, may I never ask for the gospel story over my life to be streamlined, even though I'm living in a world where everything else is. And listen to me, balancing statement, convenience isn't evil, just like money isn't. Just like social media isn't. Just like smartphones aren't. They don't have souls. They don't have lives. They don't have thoughts. Money is nothing until what? It gets put in your hand. Social media hasn't made this world more evil. It's just shown this world how evil we have the capacity to be. 
or good, depending on how you use it. And it's the same thing with convenience, man. I try as I get older to leverage convenience all the time so I don't waste time on certain things when I can devote my time to better things. That's the goal. So this isn't picking on convenience or capitalism or technology or phones. This is saying we have to be careful because it's not till money or phones get in your hand that it becomes naughty or noble, right? And that's, that's our job. That's when we look in the mirror. And so generosity, I wrote this in my notes this morning and I felt like God was speaking to me. You may go, that's the most unprofound thing I've heard, but it made so much sense to me. So I'm just gonna read it straight from my notes. Generosity is this. It's when anything in life, situation, person, experience, puts you out temporarily so that someone or something can be in eternally. That's what generosity is. Think about it. The whole story of Jesus and Christmas coming here was him being put out temporarily so billions and billions of people could be restored back to him permanently. And we are little Christs, right? We're his disciples. And so we're called, no matter what you do specifically, you and I, we are called to be people who are the, on the forefront and the front lines of going, God, I am gonna be courageous enough today to be put out and inconvenience temporarily, as long as why I'm being inconvenienced is gonna cause somebody to be blessed eternally. That's the beauty of generosity. Don't let it miss you. Generosity always asks something of you temporarily, but it always gives somebody else something eternally. That's, that's the exchange we wanna be a part of, is it not? Can I ask you this? To, just to prove my point, let's talk about Jesus for a minute. Did Jesus stay in the grave forever? Did Jesus have to come to earth Forever or 33 and a half years, right? Jesus was put out for three days in the grave. And you know what he was willing to do in that grave to be put out? Was to bring billions of people back to him permanently. Do you think he would regret that? No, the Bible tells us for the joy set before him, he what? Endured the cross. Knowing what his generosity in the grave was going to do by conquering death and therefore conquering death in our lives for an eternity, he was willing to do it, to be put out, to be inconvenienced. When he got off his throne and was living in a perpetual state of bliss where there's no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, he gets off that throne and he subjects himself to the belly of a teenage girl and then brings himself into this chaotic, crazy, sin-stained world and lives a life of perpetual inconvenience. And can we agree he lived the holiest life ever? This is what generosity is, Red Rocks Church. It's holy inconvenience. And the spoils of the kingdom of God go to the people, you and I in this room and at all of our campuses, that have the courage, and it takes courage, when you're immersed in a society of convenience, to say, God, don't let me miss my moments don't let me miss my people. Don't let me miss my situations where I can put my comfort on hold to give them something eternally. And I think there's, and I, I just with my last few minutes, I want to paint a picture scripturally to show you this. And it's from the Christmas narrative. I think the poster children, apart from Jesus, for being wholly inconvenienced is Mary and Joseph. Can you not agree when you start to think about the implications of their story? In fact, let's just read it and talk about it. Matthew chapter 1, this is uh, Joseph's narrative where the angel's about to tell Joseph what, what he's already told Mary that we read in Luke. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. 
Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, okay, that's Greek for sex. <laughs> Need to know that. Earmuffs, kids, or go to kids' church. Um, before they came together, ready for this? She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And 2,000 years later, we go, oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that precious? We should write a song about that. Doesn't that just warm your heart? Because we know 2,000 years later, in retrospect, we know how it played out. This teenage girl doesn't know anything except an angel just told her she's going to be pregnant and it's going to be a virgin birth for the first and last time in human history. Think about that. Her husband, Joseph, I love this, being a just man. Let me put this in modern terms, being a real man, because this is what a real man does. This is, ladies, take notes if you're still single. This is what a real man looks like. Being a real man, he was unwilling to put her to shame. I love that, because he could have done that when she told him, hey, I'm pregnant and it's the Holy Spirit. He's like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. What's his name, right? What's his address, right? unwilling to put her to shame. That's true love. That's how much he loved her. He's like, man, I could shame you so quick for how you've hurt me and what you've done to me, but he loved her so much he doesn't want to. I love that. That's a real man. He resolved, he chose to divorce her quietly under the Torah in first century Judea. You didn't have a choice when adultery was committed. It wasn't, should I stay or should I go? It was like, no, you're legally gonna go and repercussions are gonna follow for him or her. And he's like gonna do it quietly because he loves her. It says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Remember, because generosity, holy inconvenience takes incredible amounts of courage. Do not fear to do what? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Here it is. For that which is conceived of her in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's stop there for a minute before we read the rest of it. Can we not agree that everything about this story so far just sounds beautiful 2,000 years in retrospect? We know, we know the story. We know how it turned out. We know how everyone won in the end. We know the heroes that Mary and Joseph are now. We know we're talking about them 2,000 years later. That's what an incredible legacy they've left. But in this moment... As holy as everything feels, can we not, when we look at the circumstances that this virgin birth would create for them, can we not agree as holy of a moment as this is, this is equally an inconvenient moment? Because Mary and Joseph are about to do one of the most difficult, generous things on planet earth. They are literally going to protect and provide for the creator of the universe when he's in a vulnerable season as a baby where he cannot protect and provide for himself. That is the essence of generosity. You want to talk about an intimidating task that you get, and on top of it, you're teenagers. So here's what this virgin birth, if you're new to church, was going to cost them. And I'll just do the cliff notes real fast, just to reiterate the point of holy inconvenience. They were now, all of a sudden, going to be outcasts in their society. Of course, nobody's going to believe the first and only ever virgin birth, right? Happens to these uh, lower middle class, unsuspecting teenage kids. The savior of the world in your belly. Yeah, right. So socially, everything is instantaneously ruined to be carriers of Jesus' story. You want to talk about inconvenient? Then Mary had to go live with her cousins for a while to get away from the shame and being vilified. And you're a pregnant woman without a car. Come on, ladies, you've had babies before. She had to walk to get there. Then she comes home, and about that time, Joseph has what we just read, 
the angelic visit. So they have to have that talk. Then they have to have a census where they have to go to Bethlehem while she's in her third trimester. Where are my pregnant ladies at? walking there in her third trimester. Then when she gets there, there's no room in the inn. We know the story. And so she has the baby out in the farm, out in the manger. Then as soon as that's over, instead of celebrating and going home to the creature comforts of at least their own familiarity and their own house, Jesus warns them, God warns them in a dream through an angel that they have to be on the run. So now all of a sudden, because they're carriers of Jesus's story and Jesus's kingdom, now they have to be refugees for the next couple years in their enemy state, Egypt. You know it's sad when you got to go to your enemy nation to be safer than your hometown. And because of what they were obedient and willing to do, that's what they got. You want to talk about temporarily being put out for billions of people being permanently brought in. That's what we're called to do right there. And let me give you some good news. None of you are going to be called to do something that crazy. That's over with. We're not having another virgin birth. If you have a daughter someday and she comes and tries to tell you that, she'll be like, nope, what's his name? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, that was one and only. My pastor said it. What's his name? I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him, right? None of us are going to be called to anything like this, I doubt. Anything remotely like this. But all of us, in our own context and in our own story that God created for us, we're going to be called to holy inconvenience if you want to be a carrier of Jesus' story on planet Earth. Every day we take our heads off our pillows, we're going to have that decision. Am I willing to be inconvenienced to do holy things for the kingdom of God? In other words, am I going to be a generous person today? Now, here's what's cool. If a bunch of us walk in that conviction and we meet here and gather here and put our resource together here, do you understand what we can do in the Denver metro area and beyond? If we can get a group of people that all together Because isn't it way better and easier to do tough things together? Isn't it way easier to be courageous and do hard things when you know people sitting next to you are doing it too? And that's the type of church we want to be. We don't want to play church. We want to be church. We don't want to talk about God. We want to go out of these walls and we want to show people God. But man, this is, a, this is a scary thing. Not many people would take Jesus up on the offer that Mary and Joseph took him up on. The story goes on to say this. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Band, you guys can come out at all campuses. She shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I love that. He just obeyed. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. That right there is a beautiful picture of holy inconvenience and generosity. And that's the church we want to be. Perhaps the most beautiful thing that happened at our church in the last 365 days this year happened a while ago. Sean and I got a letter in the mail and it was from one of the inmates at our God Behind Bars campus, the the men's facility, Colorado Territorial Correctional Facility. We got this letter 
from a guy named Mike Freeman, and his number is 51630, inmate number. He wrote, Pastor Chad and Sean, greetings from CTCF. Remember us, question mark, the stepchildren in Canyon City. Not true, guys. We love you. He says, our earnest prayer is that God would free up Saturday, September 30th for one or both of you to make a yard event that we're planning here. Listen to this. Our vision, keep in mind, this is a hardened criminal who gave their life to Jesus. Listen to their vision. Our vision is that our little chapel would feed 200 or more folks. And to have one of you speaking would be amazing. We love you guys so much. Our worship team will provide music and we will provide lunch in parentheses, all you can eat, Chad, smiley face. (laughs) Talk about manipulation. He knows how to get me there. (laughs) Knows what he's doing. Our GBB volunteers will help us serve. I don't even know if you will get this. I do understand how busy you guys are, but I did want to personally extend this invitation to you. I do know it's quite a drive here, but I can promise you that God guarantees beautiful scenery and the view is not too shabby from the yard as well. So along with my fervent prayers for you and your families, we are praying for your visit here. And Sean and I read that and we're like, well, of course we gotta go. They have church on Saturdays though, and we preach on Saturdays. So we just said, okay, whichever one of us isn't preaching, we're just going no matter what. We'll cancel anything else that's going on. We're taking that through almost three hour drive down to Canyon City and we're gonna preach that thing. Here's what Mike Freeman got a bunch of guys to do before a few months ago, he passed away from cancer, unexpectedly out of nowhere. They got all their money together. And, and if you know anything about the prison system, they work really hard and make pennies on the dollar, right? They make pennies on the dollar. They got all of their money together. And literally what Mike said was, we're not just gonna come here and talk about God. We're gonna practice what we preach. He literally said, and I quote to the guy behind bar supervisor, we're gonna put our money where our mouth is. Small amounts of money compared to our other campuses in the Denver metro area and in Brussels, Belgium. Would you guys not agree? pennies on the dollar compared to what we're capable of giving. And they took their money from their bank accounts. They got permission from the warden. Thank you, warden, if you're in this service. We could not have done this without you legally. Thank you. They bought hot dogs and drinks to feed 250 men and invite them so that Sean or I could come and give a gospel message. And Mike's dream was that some men, even some of his enemies in prison, would come to know Jesus Christ. Think about that. They gave the pennies on the dollar that they work hard labor for to buy hot dogs and drinks so some guys would go, yeah, I'll show up for that, not knowing they were about to get a gospel message for the first and possibly last time in their life. And a bunch of guys showed up and it was full. In fact, some people had to leave because of capacity and they left and over 50 men that day gave their life to Christ. Because one guy, inmate, Number 51630, who was a hardened criminal before Christ found him, said, hey, we're going to put our money where we're mouth are. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not, we're not going to talk about church. We're going to be the church in a prison cell. And can I just say, if this isn't a picture in our church of what the Macedonian campus looks like, we, if they're the Macedonian campus at the Colorado 
correctional facility, if that's them, then we're definitely the church in Corinth with way more resource than them. And what Paul was trying to say to the church in Corinth and God is saying to us in this season as we're about to take a sacred offering is you can't be the church in Littleton or Lakewood or Arvada or Brussels that gets outgave by the church in the Colorado Territorial Facility. Like that, that, everything about that can't be right. So let them and Mike Freeman rest in peace, Mike Freeman. I said this about the widow last week. I'll say it about you. It'll be my honor to mow your lawn in heaven for an eternity, my honor. I'm gonna have to start a lawn business in heaven if we keep this series going. I got the widow too with the two mites, your lawn as well, right? This is God going, take heed from Mike and their team's story. Like, I love that the men in our prison campus are teaching us what it's like to be generous. I love, that's the irony of the kingdom of God is he can use anyone at any time and he doesn't grade and he doesn't scale the way we do with society. Those guys gave everything to buy hot dogs and drinks just so they could get some guys in there that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And at least 50 of them said, I, I wanna call on the name of the Lord so I can be saved. We're about to give an offering that we've talked about now for the whole month of December. And there could not be a more irresponsible and inconvenient week than the week before Christmas to take an end of the year love offering. And I said this last week, I'll say it again. It's either brilliant on our part or awful. We'll let you know in January, but we're going through it. We knew from January of 2017 that this was for the first time in our history, how we were gonna end this year. We just knew it was divinely inspired from God. And so at all campuses, if you guys will stand, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take the offering right now. It's gonna be one offering. We're not gonna take two. So I'm gonna need you guys, if you have envelopes, for your end of the year offering at all of our campuses, I'm gonna need you to put that in there and that's separate from whatever your normal offering would be. That's a different thing that we're doing. This is above and beyond, this is different, but we're only doing one offering. God already knows your heart, God already knows what you're giving. We're just asking that you separate those because we wanna be able to quantify it, to know what to do with it. So we're just asking that any other money that's not the end of the year, maybe it's your regular tithe or offering that you put that in, but then you put the envelope in separately. Hopefully you don't put it all in together or we won't know exactly what, what God's up to with this. So thank you for that. Second thing I want you to understand is this. We've said this and we've been very careful to say this this whole series. Some of you won't be giving listen to me at all of our campuses, you won't be given this time around. And you remember what I said last week? Look, look at the whites of my eyes. God loves you. Just like he loved the rich young ruler when he walked away and said, I can't do it. The Bible still stood behind the fact that God, that we are not a place of condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. There is no condemnation for anybody at any of our campuses that can't for any reason or is not prepared in their hearts yet to give. Because we do not want you to give in this offering if you're giving compulsively. Bible tells us not to give that way. Just don't give. It'd be more holy to just not give than to do it compulsively because the pastor said some, some good stuff. The Bible also says, though, don't give begrudgingly. And if that's your heart, if you're mad, if you feel like we put you into a corner, hey, let's get rid of that corner right now. 
We're not here to put you in a corner. We're here to put you in a position for your faith to move forward and to thrive. And that's what this offering is about. So if you can't give this week, no condemnation. God loves you. Giving financially is one of the highest forms of the discipleship that we're going to have on this side of eternity because, oh, that green piece of paper makes the world go round, right? But, but can I ask you this? If you are in a place and you say, I'm not going to be able to give this time around since there's no condemnation, will you use this time for vision? Will you use this time to go, I can't give this time, but you know what? The, the, the tension I'm sitting in because I can't give this time, I'm going to use that to fuel me to say this time next year, if they do it again, God, by your grace, your grace, your supernatural power, I'm going to be able to give next time. So I'm going to celebrate with the people that are giving. We're all one body. If you can't give, we got you. You can do it next time. We love you. We love you. Second thing is, is this, if, if you're able to give, would you just at all of our campuses, as we're about to pray a prayer of blessing over this, would you just hold up your envelope real quick? All of our campuses, hold them up and keep them up. Keep them up. I just want to see this. I just want to see this. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. I, I know. I, I'm, I'm one of you. I'll, I'll be dropping mine in tomorrow morning in a, in a service that I speak at when my family's there. We'll do it together. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. This is no small deal. Here's what's happening this whole weekend at our church. Faith is arising like crazy. Seeds of faith are going into the ground and God will bloom something from it. I don't know what. He's not Santa Claus. He doesn't give us formulas. I don't know what he's gonna do in your life, but I promise you this. He is going to do something exponential in your life. And I'm just proud of you and I'm proud to be a part of this church. So I wanna do this and then we're gonna worship through this offering. I wanna pray a prayer of blessing. So again, hold those tight. Grab the hand of your spouse. If you're single, find a hot person and grab their hand. Sorry, Lord. God, with every ounce of faith and gratitude I have now, I pray, pray what you told the priests to pray over people because it's what you want for your people. God, I pray that you would bless every single person in our church. God, that you would keep them, that you would cause your face to shine upon them, that you would turn your countenance towards them, that you would be radically, radically gracious to them in 2018. And they would walk out of the doors of their respected campus this weekend with the peace that passes understanding. We pray this in the precious, sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Let's give and let's worship. Ushers, you guys can come forward.